0: Hello, my name's Jonathan Overend, and what you're about to hear is really important. It might just be the widest, most open conversation about sport and climate change there's ever been, certainly on this platform. It's about impacts. Some of it will undoubtedly shock you. But if you're thinking that sounds a bit gloomy for this new year, hang on a minute. It's also about positive solutions, and plenty of this will hopefully inspire you. Because this is about us as a sporting collective, all of us playing minor parts in a massive team effort. We want to raise our awareness, but also raise our games, empower athletes to speak up, encourage the rest of us to dig a little deeper. I've reported on some of sport's biggest stories in my career, but this might just be the most important. This series is in association with Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit, and their director is Richard Black. He's coming along for the journey with us. Richard, why are we here? Well, I've loved sports all my life. And I've been working in climate change for about the last 25 years. And one of the things in climate change, one of the eternal problems is how do you connect this to people's lives, to what they love doing? Because I, I know as someone who you know, spends a professional life in it, that it is going to affect many of the things that we love to do. And in the last couple of years, we've seen real moves in sports of individuals and organisations that are actually now starting to talk about this. And I think sports has an amazing ability to communicate with its fans and people who love sport. So that's why I'm really interested in seeing what we can do to put across some of the issues that sport is facing from climate change and also some of the things that sport is starting to do to address climate change. Indeed. Okay, let's get on with the series then. It's an eight parter, and every episode is available to download right now, so make sure you subscribe. And it's also a high definition audio experience, so we really recommend listening on decent headphones if you have them. Episode one is The Breakdown. Welcome to Emergency on Planet Sport. Sport, you say,
1: paradoxical thing. Passion misplaced like a curious fling. Sport to be seen, to be heard, and devoured with dubious care for a world overpowered. We love it, we live it, we drive it, we dream. But aren't we reliant on sport being seen? And before the TVs and the phones can display it, what use is sport with no world on to play it? Have we thought about that? Do we think it involves us? The planet's big issue routinely revolves us. Athletes and clubs, corporations and fans. In all of our in-trays, our own business plans. Totally global, but stop for a mo'. Consider the reason the whole thing could blow. Sport just gets on with it taking for granted, the wins and the losses and attitude slanted. For this is the point, a refrain, a recital. We love sport so much, it's essential, it's vital. So where are we watching this? What are we playing? Have we considered the world with slaying? Cricket fields flooded, ski mountains melting, golf links eroding, tracks over smelting, tickets and sponsors and rights deals, you say it. Yet what use is sport with no world
2: on to play it? This just isn't sustainable. I'm not sure what it's gonna take for these issues to be taken more seriously. This is a genuine threat.
3: This is like insane. <laughs> like, are we really playing tennis in this weather like right now?
2: It is an existential problem in the long term. Like
3: what I'm doing here. <laughs> this is not healthy.
4: <laughs> think of it in terms of the positive change that you can actually make. We've got to start from
2: somewhere. And I don't think it's depressing. I don't, mean, sorry, I don't mean to sound depressing at all, because I don't think it is depressing. I think it's exciting.
0: This is a story about real life, although it's a story still being written, of course. It's about protecting our planet, protecting our sport, protecting each and every one of us. Because climate change is such a vast subject, it can overwhelm us. But sport can step up, however small those steps may be. We can do this. How we can all contribute, however, is down to us. We're starting in Canberra, the capital city of Australia.
5: Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for doing this. I think, it, I think it is so important. And
0: we're inside the home of a national hero.
5: He'll go down as one of the best number
2: sevens in our history. Bloody legend on and off the field.
5: My name is David Pocock. I'm a recently retired rugby player.
6: I'm Emma Pocock and I'm the CEO of Runners, which is an organisation designed to help athletes and sporting organisations engage on climate environment issues.
5: Well, I guess you could look at it a number of ways. You could take the sports angle and look at the impacts that it's gonna have on sports, which are not insignificant, particularly somewhere like Australia, you look further afield to to places like Bangladesh, India, when it comes to cricket and the effect that climate change will have on on those sports. I think that has the potential to be devastating to sport as an industry and to sport as a you know way for young people to learn great skills, do something that they love, be part of a team. You could look at it that way, or you can look at it at the fact that we're all human beings and we all share this incredible planet and the climate crisis is a challenge that we have to face. As athletes, we all have a, have a role to play because we're human beings. And just as the accountant or the nurse or the doctor can do things to in their own lives, but also to apply pressure on politicians to show more leadership, I think athletes have a real opportunity and, and, and a role to play in, in doing that.
6: I think the momentum is shifted so much. Last summer, we had those horrendous bushfires. And I think they really drew our attention as a country to what the risks are for us. And they're really profound. Alongside that sits the amazing school climate strikers who have been getting out in the streets and demanding for a better future for themselves. It's not just generations that don't yet exist that are facing this problem. It's all of us who are alive today and I think sports realising not just the responsibility it has but the opportunities that are there you know with so many companies wanting to spruik their environmental credentials um, I think is a great opportunity for sport to seize the moment and become real leaders on this and I and I think that they're increasingly aware of that
0: some facts The world's six hottest years have all occurred since 2015. That's 2015 to 2020. The last six years, the six hottest years for the planet. 2019 broke all records in some places, last year in others.
2: It's not a natural phenomenon in the sense of this is
0: caused by human activity. That's climate consultant Dom Goggins.
2: Some of it is already locked in, but there is a big global agreement called the Paris Agreement, which was signed in 2015, which is aiming to stop the the worst effects. So basically we have to keep global temperatures from increasing 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. What happens after 1.5 degrees gets very, very, very worrying.
0: Remember Joe Root on the Ashes tour three years ago? The England cricket captain suffering from a stomach complaint was taken to hospital in Sydney after batting the previous day in 47 degrees Celsius. Tennis players were asked to play at that year's US Open in 49 degrees. Increased humidity increases the risk of extreme weather. More storms, like the one which flooded English football in 2015. More hurricanes, like the one which ravaged the home of cricket in Dominica in 2017 and more typhoons like the one which cancelled three matches at Japan's 2019 Rugby World Cup.
7: I'm Mike Tipton, Professor of Human and Applied Physiology from the Extreme Environments Laboratory at the University of Portsmouth. As a consequence of human activity, we produce byproducts, a whole range of byproducts, chief amongst which are things like carbon dioxide, and these have an impact on the way the planet can function. When you say one or two degrees or three or four degrees, people think, well, that's that's the difference between night and day. But of course, those temperatures have a significant impact on things like the evaporation of fresh water, the impact on the weather systems. So as a consequence of which we're seeing much more severe heat, much more severe cold, greater wind, all of these things have an impact on, for example, the amount of fresh water that's available on the planet the amount of topsoil that's available on the planet to grow things. So these things have been happening at an accelerating rate, so it's not just a one or two degree increase in environmental temperature, it's a complete change in the way our planet looks and what we can do and achieve with it. If I said to somebody that there's a person pointing a gun at their grandchildren, I suspect I would get a very profound and rapid response. However, climate change is that gun, but it's occurring so slowly, the dynamic is so
0: slow, that we don't get the reaction we would get from somebody actually pointing a gun. A dramatic analogy from Mike Tipton, but it's the sort of stuff which is on David Pocock's
5: mind as he takes us back to the beginning. I grew up on a farm in Zimbabwe, and as a kid was obsessed with birds, animals, just found it so interesting as I've learned more about the threats that all these amazing creatures face the shared one is obviously climate change going back to Zimbabwe I've been involved in a a number of things back there over the years the reality is is that developing countries will be hardest hit and have far less resources to deal with climate change. climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Certainly part of wanting to be actively engaged comes from knowing what it was like as a young boy looking up to these rugby players, you know, they were my heroes. As a kid, guys like Bob Skinstadt, George Smith, the guys that I idolised, I wanted to be doing what they were doing. Johnny Wilkinson, I uh, read all these books plenty of highlight like underlined pages and tabs and stuff in them. Read all these books. Read all these books. Read all books. As a teenager moving to Australia with a funny accent, not really feeling like I fit in, sport was the way that I made friends. It was the way that I felt like I could be part of the, the culture and really start to feel like I was an Australian. Australian
3: Australian
5: I was fortunate enough in my early twenties to be given a book by Dave Zirin, who's an American sports writer who really focuses on where sports and politics collide. And that really opened my eyes to the role sport can play in contributing to society. I've really felt like I've benefited so much from society being able to you know, be paid to live out my childhood dream of chasing a rugby ball around the field. And sport is such an amazing way for people to come together and learn so many great values. In some way, I hope I've sort of given back and contributed in other ways. Sport is at its best when it's challenging society to be more inclusive and to be facing up to these these bigger issues. And there's a very long and proud history of sport doing that. I think we've now got to the point where I think everyone's on board with the with the science most people are on board with the science but it's about upping our ambition you know the, the reality is, is that we have all the tools we need we 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 just need to be willing to make changes and demand that our leaders our leaders do that you know I think it's 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 a bit different in the UK where it's not such a political issue action on on climate change, whereas here in Australia, it's still a very, um, it's a bit of a hot topic, Um, something that um, can be seen as really divisive. And we have a lot of politicians who still like to question the science behind it or claim that, you know, Australia is such a tiny nation that what's it going to do if we change things?
6: I think the other important part of the messaging is that we have the solutions for the bulk of the things that are contributing to continuing emissions. We know what the solutions are, we have the technology, it's getting cheaper all the time. And in terms of drawing down the carbon that's already in the atmosphere, we also know how to do that. So this is a completely solvable problem. And I think that's something that often gets left out of the debate. We think it's this terrible thing that I can't do something about personally. And in fact, the solutions are very hard and very complicated or don't exist. And that's just not the case. We know what to do. It's mm. just a case of getting it done.
5: And I think one of the <laughs> one of the issues is that for people who are engaged in some way, there's this idea that we just need to act in the next ten years. But the reality is, we sh- we really have to have acted in the next ten years. Like in in ten years' time, we really have to have got our emissions you know well below fifty percent. And really decarbonized most of the world's economies. So it's a huge challenge, but I mean that's one thing that humans are great at facing is is, is challenge. And I think if we can find ways to to bring people together and inspire real action on this, um, it could be a it could be a great story.
6: I guess my real interest is in providing athletes with the opportunity to find ways to use their platform to talk about the things that they care about and I think this year with all the changes that they went through so many athletes are so aware that they want more meaning in their lives and that's led a lot of them to engaging with issues around the climate and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing that they've not thought about in so much detail before. And so I think there is this upswell of um, athletes who are really concerned about what the future looks like. And yeah, I'm really excited about the opportunity to work with them and help make their goals a reality.
5: I really do think that things are changing. Um, I mean, even in the last five or six years here in Australia, when I got arrested in 2014 at a coal mining protest.
0: Former Wallabies captain David Pocock has been arrested at a protest against a coal mine in northern New South
5: Wales. And, you know, went on to plead guilty and didn't have a conviction recorded.
0: The 26-year-old joined other activists in the blockade at Moles Creek, chaining himself to a digger.
5: I was told that if you did anything like this again, we'll tear up your contract, which I'm not sure if they could have actually done that, but... I think I think that is changing, and, and that businesses and sports are starting to understand that there's a role to, for them to play, and that one of the things I think is difficult in our age of social media is that I think we get a very skewed perception of of what people are thinking. We often, you know, there, there's plenty of vitriol and, and negativity on on social media, but I, I, I genuinely think that athletes speaking out, out about issues does lead to really important conversations amongst young people and you know who knows where, where they can lead.
6: You know Dave was saying before that this is a big challenge but humans are great at rising to meet challenges and there's maybe no group who that's more true of than athletes. They're used to setting ambitious goals and mapping out the pathway to achieve them and that's The role of frontrunners is to help them build out that pathway.
0: Back to Canberra in a moment. After we consider this important question, why aren't there more David Pococks? Athletes who care but are maybe afraid to speak up on behalf of the planet. They're surely out there.
4: The athlete question is is a really interesting one because athletes actually have a huge amount of power. You know, they are influencers. They are they are role
0: models. Dr. Russell Seymour is chief executive of the British Association for Sustainable Sport.
4: But they're also intensely focused people. So I think it would be wonderful for some athletes to come out. And some athletes are. You know, some athletes are actually coming out and talking about climate change and, and various other issues. And look a different issue but look at the impact Marcus Rashford has had, Um, huge without his input I don't suppose many of those things would have happened that that he's managed to influence government on it would be very good, would be very interesting for some athletes to come out and talk a bit more about climate change and do it in a very genuine way and if athletes want to understand more want to learn more, um, there are resources out there, Um, you know, my own organisation basis, we're starting an athletes forum, we're starting some training for athletes to, to actually try and empower them a little bit more because it may be that there are people out there who are passionate athletes out there that are passionate but possibly don't necessarily feel qualified Um, and you don't have to be a scientist to talk about climate change you just have to actually believe that, that we need to do something a bit different.
5: Well I think that the reason for more athletes to speak out is that our futures are at stake and if we don't up our ambition and really start to deal with this as the emergency that the scientists are telling us it is then you know we're cooked and and uh you know i think there's some sort of moral obligation for everyone to be playing their role it's a very hard issue as an athlete because you know many athletes have dreamed of doing what they're doing since they were little kids and have sacrificed a lot to get there they've put a huge amount of work into it And I think there's a real fear that these other issues, taking a stand on an issue or wanting to talk about something other than sport, will somehow detract from their sport or potentially take their concentration away from what they're doing and uh, open them up to criticism. I've found that it's really provided me with some balance. I feel like I'm engaged in other issues that I know ultimately a lot more important than sport.
0: So perhaps the relative silence of athletes on the biggest issue of all is, at least in part, a fear of hypocrisy.
3: Well, I think uh, athletes been always uh, people to influence other people.
0: This is Lucy Safarova, for years a top ten tennis player.
3: It, it is hard, and then even if I try to boast something about, you know, try to use less plastic or try to be better... Uh, to the nature a lot of people message me yeah but look at you traveled for 15 years like uh, every single week look at your carbon footprint you know and and yes it's my work and uh, tennis is a global sport so I'm not gonna be able to travel less but we already are trying to change our calendar so we are not you know going uh, insane distances uh, for one week and then back so I think that's the least we can do.
0: They are doing more, though, and we'll hear about it in episode two. So, the fear of hypocrisy. We can all feel it. We all do feel it, don't we? At least a little bit. So in sport, it's very real. And among athletes, very understandable.
4: We can look to Lewis Hamilton, for example. You know, he's made some very strong statements on, on climate change, on the environment in recent times and he was criticised you know people saying well look you know Formula One at least the perception is that Formula One is all about fossil fuels etc Formula One are doing some good stuff to reduce their impacts but yeah exactly you know we are like I said before we are where we are so even if a, a Premier League footballer with a big car wants to talk about this look he should do it they should do it.
8: My name is Oriol Romeo, I play for Southampton Football Club in the Premier League. I remember when I was young and a football player would come and chat to us, I would be with eyes open, ears and remember everything he says. So it, we are in a stronger position situation that if we can take advantage of, I, I think, uh, in, in those uh, important issues that we have, uh, we can be really helpful. I cannot make you do something, but I can show you how I do it. So that, that's probably the message, because if I'm just saying you need to do this, you need to do that, but I don't do it, it doesn't really, it, it, it's not the point. So I always believe that the example has to go first. Uh, and by doing things, you show a lot more than by saying them. So this is the first thing. Here in Southampton, the, the club has set up a plan to, co- to become uh, carbon neutral by 2030. And they've also have a program to plant two two hundred fifty trees for every academy player that plays in the first team. So yeah, I think it's a great idea, and it sets a really good example to everyone. And me personally, it's just using common sense, which sometimes is the, is the less common in people. But it's using that recycling and 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 using uh, energy when you need it, uh, not just because you have it. Um, in sustainability and in, in environmental decisions, everything is, and every decision is important. So, having that in mind and, and being always very mindful, I think it, it's, and, and taking those decisions like the club has done, setting those examples, it's, it's the right way to go. We are the ones that are living in this planet, and we are the ones that ha- want to enjoy it as much as possible and as long as possible. Southampton are doing the right thing. Uh, I just hope that other teams follow them. First of all, it's having that knowledge and understanding which movements are gonna be more important. I just had a book called Factfulness from Hosling. I think it's called Rand Hosling. I don't know if you heard of him. was a Swedish uh, scientist. Yeah, he talks about the things that we can really do to help the most. One of them was not flying overseas sometimes uh, i can see people going vegan because of the world sustainability but then still go to overseas for holidays and eat vegan there which actions are going to be more important you know i mean i'll, I'll rather uh, have you eating something normal in here than, than flying overseas because that that's going to affect a lot less this this planet and and i don't think our knowledge is is good enough yet to make those calls so probably having more knowledge about What's gonna help the most, it's gonna, it's gonna make us go where we want to go.
4: My name is Dr. Russell Seymour. I'm the chief executive of an organization called Basis, which is the British Association for Sustainable Sport. There are resources out there that, that could enhance what people know, uh, what athletes know, and give them the opportunity to, um, to actually include this and to actually speak about it when they have the opportunity. Be prepared. Be prepared with the knowledge to actually reply back well you know but i've made changes in the rest of my life you know with i've been doing other things and adjusting what i do and reducing impacts elsewhere sustainability in general is absolutely huge we can focus on climate change as one issue and carbon emissions is one issue but there are so many aspects to reducing our impact on the natural environment
8: there's a fine line there isn't it i was just thinking now that with clothing as well i i just see a lot of sustainable clothes as well but it's similar to the vegan and, and, and travelling overseas. Uh, the most sustainable would be not to consume something that you don't need. Not not, not to consume sustainable clothes. Finding those uh, decisions and, and saying, right, uh, this is sustainable, uh, I'm going to do it. Uh, maybe it's more sustainable not, not to buy it at all, you know, if you don't need it. I think we've always had this global heating, but now it's, it's getting quicker than ever. Uh, so we need to react uh, before we're too late that's, that's definitely the thing we have to do and, and if that happens and we haven't been quick enough or aware enough that's going to be a problem because then our life quality will drop we will all end up losing so I would love we, we don't put ourselves in, into that situation and we don't, we don't regret afterwards saying oh we should have done this we should have done that um, I would rather do it now
0: Within football, some curious conflicts. On one hand, excellent work from leading clubs on matters of sustainability. On the other, airline sponsors on shirts and stadiums. Dig deeper, companies investing in coal and petrochemicals, for example. They're prominent in football. The conflict extends further. Most teams think nothing of flying a short distance to avoid hassle on the roads. But then the whole of sport flies. Not even the staunchest activists, David and Emma Pocock for example, can claim to be carbon zero.
5: I really think the whole thing around air travel is really just a way to silence, not, you know, not just athletes but also climate scientists. I was talking to a climate scientist here in Canberra a while ago and he was saying that that's often the first thing that gets thrown at him, you know, travel around the world to speak at these conferences. See, not this year, um, and uh, I'm sure you'll be zooming into a lot more of them going forward. But if you look at somewhere like a country like Australia, air travel makes up 3.8% of our emissions. Electricity generation through coal is 40%. We have ready deployable technology where we could transition from coal in the next decade easily with net benefits to the economy, net benefits to households with with power prices coming down and you know air travel can be something that we unfortunately have to solve for down the road but the idea that because you drive a car or fly or whatever it might be means that you have no right to talk about (laughs) action on climate change just doesn't sit well with me.
6: Yeah, it's such a good point to bring up, and that's something that I hear a lot from athletes.
5: Emma Pocock again.
6: And the reality is that we don't have great alternatives to air travel. I wish that we did, and hopefully we will soon, and, you know, the interest in solving these problems is growing by the day. But until we do, the reality is if we want, sport to continue, athletes are going to have to keep flying. And so what do we actually do with that? Do we make the athletes responsible for their emissions? Do we find a collective way to solve that problem since they're only traveling because we demand to be entertained by them? I don't know what the solution is, but I think that sport provides such an important part of our cultural identity. And this is a problem that we have to solve but it's also a bit of a distraction because in the scheme of global emissions the contribution that athletes flights make to that is quite minimal and so part of the reason that that hypocrite charge gets thrown around is just as a silencing tool and so what I often say to athletes is it's great that you want to address your contribution to the problem but the biggest impact you can make on climate change is actually to be speaking to your fans about the importance of acting because we get real change on climate when we get policy change. And when we get the biggest companies in the world changing how they do things. And sport ha- really has a power to influence that.
0: So there's hypocrisy, there's conflict. But what we're learning here is that there's a bigger picture and everyone, even those who plead guilty on those two counts can make a positive difference to sporting sustainability.
2: You are seeing examples of good work on sustainability, environmental sustainability across sport. My name's Dom Goggins. I run the Parliamentary Group for Renewable and Sustainable Energy. I work with the British Association for Sustainable Sport and I've written a couple of big reports on the impacts of climate change on sport. There are examples in the Premier League, Manchester City and Arsenal, for example, are powered by renewable energy. There are examples in cricket, where lords cricket ground is the same in fact that was the first major uk international sporting venue to switch to renewable energy and i think it's 100 percent wind now the principality stadium there's some good work going on at wimbledon there's some brilliant work going on in golf so i think there are examples of leadership by example but they are still exceptional in that it isn't the norm it isn't i don't think taken seriously enough at a governing body level not across the board we have data through the British Association for Sustainable Sport of which I'm part that shows that less than half of the major sports talk about environmental sustainability at board level that's got to change and if it doesn't change then we'll carry on seeing what we're seeing at the moment which is this not being taken seriously enough by sport and sport as a result not able to show any
0: proper leadership Leadership it's a word you hear all the time on this. Here it comes again from David Pocock, and first, Dr Russell Seymour.
4: There hasn't been a lot of clear leadership, so there are a few, uh, few governing bodies that are putting out any information. I think the, the sports are very close to some of the issues, so um, sailing, uh, snow sports, the people that actually interact directly with the environment, there's a lot more proximity to it, so there's more of a desire to actually reduce impacts. Uh, I think other sports are willing and there are some very good venues that are doing things individually, but I don't think there's been a collective push to do very much as yet. Um, I think there's a lot of very genuine individuals that are wanting to, but maybe there are, I mean, certainly at the moment with the pandemic, et cetera, there are other priorities, but there is willingness there, but I don't think a lot has come through as yet.
5: It would take political will. It would take leadership Again, I'll come back to Australia. There's been some very detailed modelling looking at how going net zero as fast as possible would create over a million jobs here in Australia. At the end of the day, I think our personal choices are, are important, but the scale of the challenge we face, unless they are scaled by politics and some really bold leadership, they don't, they don't add up to much as individual citizens
2: we can look at the impact that we have on the climate ourselves so you know the amount of waste that we produce the way that we move around the kind of vehicle that we drive you know the amount of emissions that we as individuals create but as sports fans what we can do is ask our clubs that we're either a part of because we play for or that we buy into because we watch and we you know we buy tickets for and we buy merchandise for how sustainable they are, how much it matters to them as a club that their environmental sustainability programme is one that is leading and we can ask our governing bodies to do more. And I think individual fans or groups of fans stepping up and showing that this is something that we care about as people and we care about the fact that our clubs and our sports are on the right side of history on this one will make a big difference. Because I think we've seen that when fans speak out, there comes a moment when, you know, an issue becomes, like, transcendent, I suppose. And, you know, everybody realises that it's just time to take some action. I think sports will take it seriously. I think clubs will take it seriously.
0: There are different kinds of pressures facing some sports in some parts of the world. Existential pressures. Cricket fields swamped by flood or drained by drought golf course erosion, subjects we'll be tackling later in this series. But in Rugby Union, the existential threat is to an invaluable place. Somewhere so many of David Pocock's teammates and opponents grew up honing their skills.
5: Well, I mean, climate change is an existential threat for many of the Pacific Islands. And Pacific Island leaders have been calling on countries like Australia for a long time now to up their ambition on climate and show some leadership at a on a global level when it comes to rugby you know the Pacific Islands have contributed so much they have punched so far above their weight they you look at any team in the world and yeah you can almost guarantee there will be Pacific Islanders so when it comes to rugby, I would love to see rugby as a sport speaking up for these countries that don't have as much influence. You know, when it comes to rugby or, or global politics, a country like Australia has a real responsibility to be acting in a way that's looking after our, our neighbours.
0: So, to choose a rugby metaphor for a climate crisis, how does the little halfback take down the huge lock forward? Perhaps by working together, the pack, the team, the collective, small contributions from all of us to at least help in the fight. We need to adapt. As we have done over the past year, of course. This series has been made during a pandemic, with remote recordings from Cardiff to Canberra to Canada, all coming into a home studio in the south of England. Covid has changed the way we work, live, think. So what can we think about next? Could we be radical for a moment? Final word on this to Australia rugby union legend David Pocock.
5: This is not something that we are looking at in the future. This this is here now. You look at temperatures here in Australia, the hottest November on record. Yeah, millions of hectares burnt in, in the last summer. Pacific nations losing a lot of farmland to rising sea levels and salinity. But there are also solutions and one thing I think COVID has shown us is that if we actually have the will, there's no shortage of money. After a decade of government saying that climate was too expensive to act on, they're now just throwing money into into stimulating the economy. So I think it's really important that people are pushing for that money to be spent on building the future that we want. And I'd really encourage people to watch films like 2040, uh, which was made by an Australian, Damon Gamow, which really paints a, a picture of what our future could be like if, if we really embrace this challenge and, and use it to really you know, reorient our lives back towards nature because I think there's something so meaningful about that and it, it can really help us out of the, the awful spot we're in at the moment.
0: Next time the heat extremes and the impact of rising global temperatures on sporting performance.
3: It's alarming. Today is late already to say, okay, this is happening. If we continue the trend that we have right now, the planet won't be here as we know it very soon.
0: If the world keeps getting hotter, does some sport become unsustainable? If not, why not?
6: I'm sort of a primary case study of how the climate can directly impact you as an athlete because I actually suffered a heat stroke playing an indoor sport in an air-conditioned stadium.
0: What, dare we ask, will it take for us to get serious? Subscribe now and get all eight episodes in the series. Check us out on social media at Planet Sport Pod and keep looking after that planet of ours because it's the only one we've got.
5: The climate crisis is a challenge that we have to face. This has been a 9419 production for Energy
0: and Climate Intelligence Unit.